the celebration of the Advent season and the word Advent, which means coming or arrival, helps us focus our attention on Jesus, his birth, his ministry, and his promised return. That is a, that is a key as well in Advent. And so what we're going to do today, the second Sunday of Advent, is continue a tradition that we've just begun this year, and that is encouraging you to celebrate the Advent season, to help cut through the distractions which can come with Christmas, and to help you focus on Jesus, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, and his return. I mean, the church has always celebrated Christ's return when they celebrate Advent. It's not just about his first coming. It's not some sentimental little hallmark movie about his first coming, this cute little baby in a manger. No, it's about his death on a cross. It's about his resurrection from the dead. It's about his ascension. And it's about his return. He's coming back as the judge, not a little baby that you get all cuddly with but as the judge of all the universe. And as Christians, we want to celebrate that. And so to that end, we've asked the Gonzalez family to come up, and they're going to read an Old Testament and New Testament passage describing the coming of Christ as the light of the world. And simultaneously, as they're reading that passage, they're going to be lighting two Advent candles this Sunday. And as those candles increase in light, and ultimately the fifth candle, which is the Christ candle in the center, will be lit on Christmas Day, it represents the gospel truth that Jesus is the light of the world, and he's come. He's come into our darkness, and he's come into this world, which is very dark. So, Gonzalez family, would you come up, and whoever's going to read can use this mic, and whoever's going to light the candles. Jeremiah thirteen sixteen. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. John twelve thirty five to 36 and 46. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Amen. Thank you, Gonzalez family. Let's thank them for coming up. Thanks. That passage in Jeremiah was quoted in John, and Jesus fulfills. That passage in Jeremiah was quoted in John, and Jesus fulfills that passage. He is the light of the world. Folks, may we rejoice in that light. And and this light was promised by God. In fact, our Advent series is God Keeps His Promises. And today we're going to be talking about prophets and angels. Last week we talked about the fullness of time. And this week's message is going to be about that light, about Jesus coming. God made a promise. He made a promise in the Old Testament, and he fulfills it in the New Testament. It's part of the big story of the Bible. So let's go now to the birth announcements. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, please. 
the title of this message is the, the angel's view of Christmas. The angel's view of Christmas. And in order to gain the angel's view of Christmas, we're going to read three birth announcements. Three times that angels come to this earth and announce a birth. And the first birth they're going to be announcing is the birth of John. John the Baptist. And so let's look at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, please. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God. Note that. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren And both were advanced in years. Isn't this amazing? This fullness of time, this coming of the the light of the world, it's going to start with a couple that is old and barren. Does it sound like anyone else you know, if you know your Bible? Abraham. Abraham and his wife, Sarah. So out of a barren womb, God is going to bring life. And he sends an angel to announce it. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest... Before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he, Zechariah, was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, he was chosen by lot, but God chose him. It was a great privilege what Zechariah had. It's a once in a lifetime privilege. He's getting to play on the biggest stage there is. He's going to actually go into the temple and light the incense and serve God. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. That's an understatement. And fear fell upon him. That's a little closer. We have other ways of describing this. Yeah. By the way, in case you haven't heard this from me yet, get rid of all the effeminate little angels you have in your house, okay? That is just not at all what angels look like in Scripture. When they show up, people typically dive on the carpet and just scream out, don't kill me. Or they're paralyzed or petrified. Every time, angels have to say, don't be afraid. You're going to see it in these three texts. Okay? So please get some masculine, strong angels. <laughs> if, if, they're, if they're women, I mean, just make them, I don't know, strong or just... Keep the feminine side, but just the effeminate little angel with the white deal and the the blonde hair. It's like, where did that come from? Back to the regularly scheduled text. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the the Lord a people prepared. So, So he says, your prayer was answered, Zechariah. So what was Zechariah's prayer? Was it that they have a baby? Maybe. 
I don't think so. Because Zechariah, listen, this is the biggest stage there is. This is like Super Bowl Sunday, and you're the starting quarterback. Like when Tebow starts in the Super Bowl this year. Relax, take it easy. Super Bowl, so he is not thinking about himself on this one. What's his prayer? What does a priest pray to God? A a, a Jewish priest pray to God. What are the people praying outside that are under bondage to Roman oppression? What are they praying for? A redeemer, a liberator, a messiah. Now, what's really cool is though his prayer might not have been primarily we want to have children, God in his kindness is going to fulfill so many things in his will. He's going to send a savior to his people and he's going to bless this old couple with a baby. Isn't that God? It isn't about you. It's about God. But then when he moves, he blesses you if you're in him. Powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. Zechariah is freaking out at what the angel said. Not just because it's an angel, but Zechariah knows his Bible. And Zechariah knows that the angel is quoting Malachi 4 and Malachi 1. And Zechariah is a priest, and he knows exactly what the angel says. Your son is going to announce the Messiah. I mean, on many levels, he is freaked out. Listen to what he says to the angel, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? You're not only telling me we're going to have a baby, which we can't because she's barren, but Messiah is coming and my son is going to announce him? Oh, come on. For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Listen to what the angel says to him. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Folks, the angel's view of Christmas, here's the sub point here. The angels have something to say to us. Let's look at the second birth narrative. Go down to verse 26 of chapter 1. We're going to see Gabriel showing back up on the earth about six months later. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, another understatement, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, will, and you, will, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary, though being a teenage Hebrew girl, she understood exactly who Gabriel was talking about. This could only be Messiah. Throne of David, son of God. So she, in a similar way, says to the angel, to Gabriel, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, so Zechariah was chosen by Lot in man's eyes, but God knew exactly what he was doing. 
He made the lot fall on Zechariah six months earlier. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. There had been 400 years of silence for Israel. And God sends his angels to begin to speak. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the last birth announcement. Let's jump to chapter 2. This is nine months later. Mary's giving birth, much like my daughter is, maybe right now. I got the text as I was preparing the sermon this morning. Dad, I'm going into labor. I said, okay, Vanessa, we'll be praying for you. (laughs) So, Mary, young teenage girl, some say she could have been as young as 14, 15 years old, maybe as old as 18, probably not older. Nine months later after this angelic proclamation, Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, this angel isn't specifically identified. Some say it's Gabriel. Others aren't sure. That's why I named this sermon The Angel's View of Christmas. So we don't know who this angel is. All right, But he's, he's got a great assignment, man. It could be Gabriel, maybe someone else. But this angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, there you go, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now listen, this was so amazing, this is the day, the light has come, all of creation has been waiting from the very beginning, and man, everybody wanted in on this. I could just see the multitude now of angels saying, I don't care if he was sent, I'm coming in on this. And they're just bust in, and these poor shepherds, all of a sudden, heaven opens. And in in this verse it says, and suddenly, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Those are angels. Praising God. Can you imagine? Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Exciting. Exciting. The view, the angel's view of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see this, that you would pull us out of our numbed, half-blind, halting, pitiful little views of our world. And you'd pull, just gently bring our heads up, our chins up from our own little problems. And let us see the glory that you revealed. Let us see what the angels saw. Let us hear what they have to say to us this morning. Oh, God, that the din of this world, the noise of this world, the noise of temporal stuff which will rot and rust soon would not drown out the glorious refrains of heaven and what you're doing. And may it change us forever. And may it fill our mouths with your praise. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So I guess if we're going to talk about the angels' view of Christmas, I guess I should first ask you, do you believe in angels? 
You should. They're found everywhere in the biblical account of Christ's birth. They play a huge role in the Christmas story. Really, a role second only to the Holy Spirit. Do you know that half of the 66 books of the Bible make reference to angels and their mission and their role in the history of salvation? The angelic messengers who delivered these gospel birth announcements, they came declaring God's promises fulfilled. They came declaring what what the title of our Advent series is, God Keeps His Promises. They came declaring a great joy to all the people. Christ, the promised Savior, is born. And a multitude of the heavenly hosts join them in praising God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. As we read these gospel birth announcements, we, we, we should be asking ourselves, and I want to teach you how to read your word. I want to teach you how to read the Bible. I want, I want to teach you how, how God wants to speak to you from these pages. Don't just take my word for it, but, but hear how I am trying to preach this, and hear how I would wrestle with this, and then you go home and you wrestle with it, and let God convince your hearts of these things. We should be asking ourselves, what do these angels have to say to us? What were they thinking when they made these glorious announcements? What was the angels' view of Christmas? And what is their take on Christmas now? You know, when someone has a take on something, that's just sort of a a, a common modern phrase to say, they, they, they want to tell you. They have an opinion. Do the angels have something to say to us this Christmas? That question is going to drive this sermon. Do the angels, do the angels have something to say to us this Christmas? I think they do. I think they do. But but to convince you from the scriptures, what I think we need to do is first, before we answer that question, do they have something to say? We need to answer the first question. So who are they? And, And what do they do? so that then we can discover what they're saying to us. We can hear what they have to say to us. Now, I'm indebted, greatly indebted to Sinclair Ferguson for for his work in this area. So point one, there it is. Angels, who are they? In Scripture, angels are God's heavenly family. You see... God has an earthly family and God has a heavenly family. Now, this heavenly family is related together differently than we are. There aren't grandparents and parents and grandchildren, mothers and fathers. They relate differently. Cherubim, seraphim, angels, archangels. But they're part of God's family, the heavenly part. Sadly, we know that at some point a third of them rebelled. Satan led that rebellion. I always tell my son this. But son, two-thirds didn't. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Yes, the demons are fearsome. Yes, if a demon showed up here, we would all freak out. But one-third rebelled and are demonic. Two-thirds remained. I think the two-thirds are are (laughs) Tebow-like. I think the one-third, although tough, I think they're going to get run over. I think he's going to hit them square on. So, so horror movies, all the depictions of Satan and violence and, and ugliness. Yeah, that's the demonic world. It's ugly. It's scary. As a kid, I used to hate that stuff. I, I couldn't sleep. 
But today I can sleep because two-thirds didn't rebel. And what's more importantly, God is ruler of all, creator of all. But this heavenly family, listen, when God reconciled you in Christ to himself, guess what? He also reconciled you to his, your, his heavenly family. No time to go into it, but Colossians 1, and this is something I've learned from Sinclair Ferguson's uh, teachings on these things, but when we were, re- re- when we were redeemed, we were rede- redeemed to, to the Father. You were redeemed to the Father and to the heavenly family. That's good news. Those angels, they're part of our family now. When they show up, we need to welcome them as part of our family. I want to see an angel. I, you know, we're all going to die one day. And you're going to see angels when you get up there, for sure. You curious about them? They play a huge role in Christmas. It's a good thing when they show up, if you're part of God's family. If you're not, if you look at Scripture, they execute the vengeance of God as well. They bring the judgment of God as well. And at the end time, if you read Revelation, there are some fearsome angels that will bring God's just wrath on the wicked. Want to meet those guys too and just say, look, I'm so glad we're on the same side. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Again, I invite you to study this. Maybe this week, you know, instead of the whole effeminate angel thing, why don't you read Revelation 4 and 5 and let your kids see what a real angel's like. I mean, you've got the Father sitting at the throne and you see these creatures that are amazing. They're, I mean, John's trying to describe them in sort of, you know, anthropomorphic or, or, or just uh, terms that we can understand and he's trying to give them faces of lions and this and that. But they're, they're awesome. This is God's family. It's like when we gather for Christmas, I don't sit on a throne, but I'm the father, now I'm the grandfather, and and the family gathers around. You got that same view in heaven. God has a heavenly family, he's got an earthly family. We've been reconciled to the heavenly family. That's who the angels are. That's why Jesus says, for example, in Luke 15, 10, he says, just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hey, there's a new brother. Now, I'm not sure if we're exactly brothers. I'm not sure how you relate to angels, but they're part of the family. We're related. Paul talks about this in the epistles, that angels are interested when God's people gather on earth. They're peering over. They show up every once in a while. Peter experienced one. Hey, get up, Peter. I'm getting you out of jail. They don't do it a lot, but they do show up. So that's who angels are. Second point, what do angels do? So what do they do? What do they do? Well, now here, Scripture clearly teaches us that angels are messengers of God. The word angel in the Hebrew is malach. The word angel in the Greek is angelos. Both these words mean messengers. So we've heard that. They declare God's glory. The prophet writes it. 700 years later, the angel proclaims it. Go. It's time to send that message. You, go. Send that message. Yes, sir. And they go and proclaim it. They're proclaiming God's good news. They're proclaiming great joy to all the people. They come speaking to us of Jesus, his person and his work. That's what they do here at Christmas time. 
They fulfill God's will. Listen, this, this idea of a messenger, it's more than just a, a, a mouthpiece or, you know, like these guys you see in, in, in urban settings riding, riding their bike with their messenger bag. No, no, no. They're servants as well. They're obedient servants. They, they're how, this is how God rules and, and invisibly governs the world. He sends them. They're warriors at times. They comfort at times. An angel comforted Jesus in the garden and in the wilderness. And one of the big things they do as his servants is they care for you and me. Have you ever heard the term, your guardian angel? Now, is that scriptural? Or is that just another one of these you know, things that you hear, right? Like God helps those that help themselves. That's in the scripture, isn't it? My dad always used to tell me that. No, it's not. But this one is. This one is. God gives his angels charge over you is how the King James Version would, would quote Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. I'll just read it to you in the ESV. For he will command his angels, command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. This is what Satan quoted to Jesus to get him to be presumptuous. God sends his angels to serve you. Remember the book of Hebrews? How could you forget it? What a great series that was, wasn't it? But we talked a lot about angels in Hebrews, didn't we? Jesus is better than the angels. Listen to Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is this idea of a guardian angel. Now, do you have a personal guardian angel? Well, some people do. I'm convinced there is one personally signed to Corey Spingen. If you don't know Corey very well, he does have a propensity to hurt himself severely. And he has done amazing things. Now, I could sit here and talk to you forever. This guy, this guy is truly an adventuresome, wild man. But he's so quiet and he doesn't boast that you would never know it. Now, if I did like one-tenth of what he did, does, I would have told you 50 times already, okay? <laughs> On the recent marriage retreat we went on, I mean, I just said, we just said, Corey, keep telling us these stories. Unbelievable stories. Anyways, <laughs> I do want to take a quick break from the sermon in this. Corey and Cindy are flying out to Russia next Friday. You may or may not know this, but they've been trying to adopt uh, a child uh, four years. Okay, at least. And have exhibited great faith. Uh, this costs a lot of money. And he has very quietly and in a very honorable way, just trusted God, and they got a referral for a little three-year-old girl in Russia. Can't give any more details than that. So what, the way it works is they have to fly to Siberia, where it's like minus what today? I don't know. It's minus something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they will meet this little three-year-old girl. So I want you to be praying for them. They leave Friday, and they come back eight days later. So whatever eight days later is. So we're going to be praying for you guys. And Corey, this is your life. And Cindy, when you married him, you knew that, right? <laughs> the rest of us, you know, adopt children from like, you know, a place like an hour and a half away, you know. <laughs> You're going to fly, what, 30-some hours? Yeah. It's on the, literally on the other side of the world uh, to Siberia. And, of course, in the winter, Corey, why not, you know? <laughs> so um, I just want to pray for this man ongoingly, okay? 
All right, so guardian angel for Corey Smidgen, probably a personal one. I'm thinking, you know, Smidgen, we got to watch out for this guy. But seriously, God gives his angels charge over his people. God sends his angels to care for his people, to protect his people, to serve his people. You want a biblical example? I'll give you one. I could tell you wanted one. I could see it in your eyes. 2 Kings 6, we're not going to go there, but you can jot this down, study for yourself. 2 Kings 6, Elijah and his servant boy are surrounded by an enemy army. They're fierce, they're fearsome. Here's the prophet, they're angry, they're going to kill him. Elijah's servant is going, Elijah, we're going to die. And uh, that's what I would have been doing. And uh, (laughs) Corey, who would have been Elijah, going, hey, don't worry about it, man, we're going to be okay. And Elijah said, God, open his eyes. And God opens his eyes. And there's this army of warrior angels surrounding the enemy army. And Elijah's servant calms down. See, when you review the history of your life, you may be surprised by the number of times God has sent angels to protect you, to defend you, to cover you, to serve you, maybe to divert you from doing something really, really stupid. He lets you do something stupid, but not really, really stupid that would be fatal but you never noticed it. And maybe in heaven you'll meet some of those angels. Wouldn't that be cool? I've got an example for you that I heard when I was in Cuba about two months ago. A good friend of mine, Larry Hill, went with me to Cuba. Larry's a missionary, was a missionary to Mexico. He's now a preacher all over the world. He's from Mississippi. He speaks perfect Spanish with a Mississippi drawl. It's hilarious. (laughs) Perfect Spanish. Every time he says, hey, Pino! (laughs) I love Larry. Uh, Larry's been in very dangerous places in Mexico, and, and uh, Larry and I both know, uh, uh, well, he's now passed away, but an old Mexican pastor named Benancio, Benancio Hernandez, in the mountains of Ixmiquilpan, near Mexico City. Benancio is from an Indian tribe. Mexico has many, many languages, many dialects, and there's, in the mountains there, you have to, like, I would preach in Spanish, and it would be translated into an Indian dialect, and Benancio was of one of those Indian tribes, and when the Lord saved him, the people in that tribe were very angry at him, and then he started preaching, and God started using him, and they wanted to kill him, and one night, they surrounded his home, and uh, Venancio thought, okay, Lord, this is it. I'm, I'm happy, you know, to, to, to go to be with you, so he just went to sleep. He said, I may not wake up, but I'll wake up with you, Lord. Wakes up the next morning. They did not kill him. Uh, actually, they just left. And then the Lord started moving in this tribe, and, and many were saved. And it wasn't until a year later that Venancio found out what happened. Because he was just sitting, talking with one of these guys that were now his friends, and they were believers. And, and somehow the friend just brought up, he says, man, that's just amazing, uh, those guys a year ago that protected you. Venancio says, when he, what guys? He says, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, when, when we left. Venancio says, well, I just thought you guys just left. You just had a change in mind. He says, no, we hated you. We were, we were furious. We wanted to kill you. But as we, as we all kind of came up and started surrounding your home, suddenly we saw these very large guys. They were American guys. We were wondering, how did he get these? They were like Texas Rangers with big cowboy hats and huge pistols. They were, they were surrounding your house. And we said, okay, we, got, you know, we, could, we could take out a few of them, but not that many. So we just left. And they both, they both just dropped to the knees at that point. And they realized that was God. That was God. Now, most of us will never have something that radical. But trust me, God gives his angels charge over you. And 
Nothing can happen to you that he does not allow to happen to you. Now, he has allowed missionaries to be martyred in those situations, but for some reason, his will, his rule of the universe was that Venancio Hernandez would not die that night. And he sent his angels. Do you believe in angels? <laughs> oh, friends. Now comes the third point. So if, if angels are, are part of our heavenly family, and if, and if angels are sent to proclaim their messengers and to serve God's will, they're obedient servants, two, uh, two-thirds of them remain, they are strong, they are powerful, they carry out God's will, then what do they have to say to us? Point three. Angels, what are they saying to us? Shouldn't we listen? There's this great line, this great phrase in 1 Peter 1.12b. As a matter of fact, turn to 1 Peter 1. Let's start at verse 10. 1 Peter 1.10. Before, before we... We talk about what they're saying to us. I want to give you one more little picture of these angels. 1 Peter 1.10. Everybody there? All right. 1 Peter 1.10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So, for example, Isaiah writes down in 700 or something B.C., that a virgin will give birth. And he's wondering, who is that virgin that I'm writing about? Malachi writes somewhere around 400 B.C. And, and a messenger will be sent like Elijah, and he will proclaim the coming day of the Lord. Who's that messenger? So 700 years later, God sends Gabriel, and Gabriel says, that's the virgin, Mary. God actually says, that's the Virgin Mary. Go, that's the one that Isaiah wrote about. Oh. He sends Gabriel again to Zechariah and says, John, his son, is is this messenger in Malachi. Oh. And that helps when you read the rest of this. And this little phrase I want to get to in verse 12. Let me read the rest of the, the verse. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So Isaiah, Malachi, what, what am I prophesying? I know it's about, it's about God's man and everything, but what, who are these people? Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. They prophesied about the gospel, the, the glories of Christ, the suffering of Christ. Christ started suffering the day he was born, his passive suffering as a man, limiting himself, fully God, fully man, and his active suffering on the cross. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that now have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news. The prophets preach the good news to us by the Holy Spirit from, sent from heaven. Now, here's the phrase. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. You see, as God's messengers, they were sent to fulfill God's promised salvation that had been written about in the prophets and now proclaimed. And they wondered along with the prophets. They longed to look into these promises. For they had been watching God. Angels had been watching God as his heavenly family since the beginning. See, the angels' view of Christmas is unique, and we need to hear it. Because they were there from the beginning. Now, I don't know if I can prove this. Maybe some of you can. You're 
you've studied this more than I have. I, I think they were probably already there when man was created. Satan, had, had, you know, when did he fall and all that happened? I don't know. When was the great rebellion? But I'm pretty sure, and imagine with me, at the very beginning, at the very beginning of time, when these angels are watching God's activity, they're watching God. And they watch him create. And then all of a sudden they see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit whispering together. And they're wondering, what are they going to do? And suddenly in Genesis 1, they find out, let us make man in our image. Wow, they said. There's going to be creatures that are different from us, made in God's image, flesh and blood. And they watched in amazement as God made man. He made Adam. He made Eve. And they're wondering. Then they watch as Adam and Eve disobey God. Sadly, one of their own, Lucifer, leads them in that disobedience. He had been a cherubim, been the worship leader in heaven. He crawls in, and they watch the fall. And then they listen. They listen to Genesis 3.15 when God is speaking to Lucifer, who used to be one of their own. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And they understood, there's the promise. There it is. How is that going to be fulfilled? And they follow this promise down through the millennia. And they see God call a man, Abraham, and call a people, the Hebrews. And they realize, okay, this must be that seed. How's it going to work out? And then they see these people formed by Moses at at Mount Sinai because the law would form them of his people. Somehow this people's special because someone's going to come from there that will bring salvation. And then suddenly... Gabriel gets the call. It's today, Gabriel. Go. Speak to Zechariah. Go. Speak to Mary. And then some angel, maybe Gabriel, maybe others, and then a multitude got in on this one and say, Go. This is the day. The fullness of time. Jose preached it last week. And the Son of God is born. And that night all of creation takes note. And a multitude of angels... Rejoice. And then these angels watch over the next 30 years. And they see periodically, they're sent periodically to minister to Jesus. They minister to him in the wilderness when he was fasting. And then, oh, oh, I would like to talk to this angel. An angel was sent to him to minister to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night he he was betrayed. And they're wondering, here's this promise in Genesis 3.15, and here's this, they're looking at Jesus in the garden, and then in horror, in horror, they're watching him being beaten half to death. And a legion of them are standing ready. We will go and attack, and we will defend him. If we defended Elijah, why are we not defending him? What is he doing? And God tells him to stand down. It's my will to crucify the Son. Jesus says, stand down. It's my will to obey the Father. Even unto death, death on a cross for these rebellious people. So they watched and silently asked themselves, why would Christ do this? Why would he want to do this? 
And then as Christ lay in the womb, they watched God on the third day, excuse me, tomb. When God lay, Christ lay in the tomb, they watched as God on the third day raised him from the dead. And they began to understand. And God granted them their longing to look into this great salvation. And two of them, two angels, now I'll grant you, they were dressed in white. But it was like white ninja outfits, okay? I refused to go with white choir robes. They were dressed in white. They were sent to where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet to announce to Mary that Jesus is risen. And I wonder, I just wonder if these were the same angels, if these were the cherubim who stood on either side of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies looking down on the mercy seat. The place where the blood of the Lamb was poured out for the forgiveness of sins so that the nation of Israel could survive another year. And I wonder if it was the same too. And I wonder if they were marveling as they had just watched the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, pour out His blood on the cross for the sins of His people and watched the Father raise Him from the dead for the forgiveness of their sins and realized that Jesus was now the eternal ark. He fulfilled that symbol. The eternal place where God and man would be reconciled. That Jesus is the promise made in Genesis 3.15, sustained for thousands of years in God's people, and now fulfilled at Calvary and the resurrection. And they asked, how is this possible? Friends, the angels are no longer longing to look into the salvation of God. They've seen it. They're no longer asking themselves, what is Jesus doing? They're no longer asking themselves, why does he want to do it? They're no longer asking themselves, how is this possible? They know the answer to those questions. But there still remains a question in the angel's mind. And this is what we've got to listen to. Here's what the angels have to say to us this Christmas. Their question is this, why don't they realize what Christ has done for them? How can that be? And if you're here this morning and you do not realize what Christ has done for you, how can that be? Here are the angels asking you that question. Will they bow their knee to him who is Lord and Savior? That's what the angels are asking. And will they proclaim the good news of his salvation to the world? Friends, the angels have something very important to say to us. Their view of Christmas is unique and vital. They want to know what we will do with Christ. Do you hear their questions? They're coming to you through the pages of Scripture. Listen carefully, and you will hear them ask you, do you realize what Christ has done for you? You'll hear them ask you, Will you bow your knee to the name of Jesus? You you will hear them ask you, will you go and proclaim the good news of Christ this Christmas? Friends, that's what God is calling us to do this morning. You want to know the main point of the message, I believe? It's this. Join with the angels and proclaim the good news of Christ this Christmas. Join with the angels and proclaim the good news of Christ this Christmas. God is calling us, listen, to proclaim the good news of Jesus this Christmas. We must start by proclaiming it to ourselves on a daily basis. He's our identity. He's our hope. He's our righteousness. He's our very life. 
Recently, I, I, I confessed to Jose Prado, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm fighting. Fight of faith. And he was just, it was so good. He said, he, he just prayed with me. He said, Al, Al, remember your identity is in Christ. He's proclaiming it to me. I need to proclaim it to myself. But I dare not stop with proclaiming it to myself. I need to proclaim it to you. And we need to proclaim it to one another, as Jose did to me, as Corey taught so well. We need to speak the word. We need to speak Christ. We need to sing Christ. We need to proclaim it to our families. You need to have an Advent celebration. Have it tonight. Don't don't let another day go by without proclaiming this. Make it happen. Schedule it. And then we need to not stop in the church. We need to proclaim it to the world around us. Wisely, humbly, but boldly. We need to proclaim it at home group this Wednesday. Christ, our Savior. Let us proclaim the joy that God gives to the world in Christ. The Savior has come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this picture that you give us in Scripture of the angel's view of Christmas. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you give us through your word, the means of grace. I thank you for the testimony born thousands of years ago. I thank you for the words that have been preserved of what these angels were told to say. And the picture we get of how your promises were fulfilled. You keep your promises, oh God. And now I pray for each one of us that we would have the grace, oh Lord, to to hear what the angels have to say to us. Lord, Lord, that we, we today, we would believe and trust what Christ has done for us. It motivates our lives. It defines who we are. That we would preach this gospel every day to ourselves. Lord, we would accept what Christ has done for us. It would would amaze us afresh and anew. We would bow our knee. Lord, if there's anybody in this auditorium that has not bowed their knee, may the angel's voice be ringing in their ears and may your spirit convict their hearts and may they bow the knee of their heart, their inner man, their inner person to you. I know it's your choice. I know you're the one that gives life, but I'm asking you to do that. And, and if you're hearing my voice and God is moving in you, don't resist. You, 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 you repent to God. You cry out to God. Someone greater than the angels is here, and that is Christ. By his spirit speaking to us. And so, Father, put the word in our mouths right now. May we declare joy to the world. The Savior has come. Fill us with courage, with your spirit, to proclaim this. Oh, God, every day. We join with the angels in proclaiming this. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, friends, let me bless you. Let me bless you now with faith to go, 
because of the angels' view, because of what the angels have to say to us, to go with a vision to join them in proclaiming the good news of Christ this Christmas. And to help me do that, I'm going to quote from a theologian, Dr. Fowler White. This quote will be in the notes that we'll post online. So just listen to it. Quoting now, this is the benediction. Oh, friends, reflect with me for a moment on the joy of the angels. There's more to their joy than our everyday garden variety joy. You see, their joy is not in their own salvation, for angels never will never know the joy of their own salvation. The joy they know is a joy in our salvation, a joy that has been welling up for literally millennia, thousands of years, since the beginning of time, way back to Genesis. Yes, the angels who sang during creation, Job 38, 4 and 7, the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, and all the other ranks of angels, they were all present at the birth of our first father, Adam. They were also there at the fall of Adam. In fact, it was one of their very own, a cherub named Lucifer, who rebelled against God, took the form of a servant, and tempted serpent, and tempted Adam into sin, bringing judgment on the whole race. They were also there as God banished sinful Adam and Eve and the serpent from the garden. Those angels, the ones who remained obedient, took their stations as guardians of the way to the tree of life. And they watched as God drove the man, his wife, and the serpent out of the garden. They were there in the tabernacle and the temple, their likenesses woven into the furnishings, emblematically guarding the holy of holies against the defilement of sinners. There they stayed. Looking, watching, longing to see the triumph of God's grace come to pass in the birth of that Savior who would deliver his people from sin and death. They were there in Bethlehem, speaking to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds. They were there in the tomb, the empty tomb, the two angels on either side of where Jesus had lain, now resurrected, now the new ark where the blood, his blood, was poured out to reconcile God and man. To this, to this day they speak to us as, as, in the Holy, as the Holy Spirit speaks through their words in Scripture. And still they are watching to see the triumph of God's grace in us who will receive and rest in Jesus alone for salvation. This Christmas, friends... Be sure that you have learned and remember what the angels, messengers from heaven that they are, have told us sinners about Jesus and his birth. This Christmas, be sure to share the joy of the angels, but share it in the knowledge that by grace, through faith, Jesus has saved you from the bondage of your sins. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're just-